celebrate something called the Lord's Supper or communion. And the first time you come to a church, the first time you attend, it's this strange thing that we do where we take some bread and a cup and especially most of our churches nowadays, you get this tiny little piece of bread and a tiny little cup that has these things in it and usually the bread isn't very good tasting. It's kind of stale and and it's old. And so there's these just different ways that we can do that. And this passage we read today is often used as the instructions, if you will, for the Lord's Supper and on what it is. But I think there's something more, something deeper that's going on in this passage, something else that's talking about, I'm going to try and fix my thing here. All right, I'm trying to control. Okay, you're going to have to do it, Bob. So, All right, I was trying something new and my phone didn't want to work today, so I was going to try and control my own side. So We'll go along here. So anyway, so there's something else that's going on here in the passage that's happening and, and what's happening with what Jesus is doing here. So let's go back to the one before this. So thanks. Um, and so what's happening is we're in the Gospel of Mark. And what Jesus is doing here is telling us something more. He's not simply giving us instructions for something that we should do every week or once a month or once a quarter in a church. He's telling us something deeper about his mission and about what he's doing and how that is working. And so we're going to, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom of God, about the way in which God rules through his servant kings over creation. And that was the plan from the beginning, that God would rule through his servant kings. But unfortunately, people have chosen their own way. So then God sends Jesus to redeem his servant kings and then that they would reign alongside and through him over new creation. But another theme in Mark is the cross. And these things, two, two things go together. And that's what we've been on this progress towards is the, the kingdom and the cross, that the way that Jesus becomes king or in some sense is enthroned as king is on the cross. And so the story has been moving towards this. So a few weeks ago, we came closer to the time where we see Jesus on the cross. And we saw Jesus enter into Jerusalem. And Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and it's a sign of his role as the Messiah, as God's chosen one. And then the next day, he comes into the temple, the symbol of God's presence and, and the center of Jewish worship. And he comes into this place, and he does this thing where he flips over tables, and he's making this prophetic statement about the, king, about the temple, about how the temple and its people weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And that there was judgment coming on the temple, but also in some sense saying something new is about to happen. There's going to be a new temple, a new way of entering into God's presence. And then the following day, there's this scene where he's at a dinner with some people and a woman comes in and pours this expensive perfume on his body. And Jesus says he's being anointed for his burial. So we're moving along slowly, getting closer and closer to this. And so we come to the passage for today from Mark chapter 14. And Jesus is there, and it says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. So what's this all about, this festival of unleavened bread? So in order to know what that's all about, we have to turn back to our Old Testament. In our Old Testament, the people of Israel tell their story, the story of how God worked in and through them. And at the center of their story, the highlight of their story is an event called the Passover. So the people of God were enslaved in the nation of Egypt. They were there as enslaved people. 
And God comes, he hears their cry, and he comes and he says, I want you to set my people free, Pharaoh. I want you to set my people free so that they can go out and they can worship me. And so God does this series of plagues, these horrible things where there's, there's flies and there's frogs and there's boils and there's hail and darkness, all trying to get the Egyptians to let the people of God go. But they keep refusing and they keep refusing. And finally, God sends the 10th and final plague. And in this final plague, he says, I'm going to allow the destroyer to pass over. And every firstborn child in Egypt will be slain. But then he tells his people, the people of Israel, he says, but here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do to get ready. I want you to make bread, but don't use yeast because that takes too long. So the festival on leavened bread. And then he says, I want you to eat with your sandals on and your belts tied. In other words, this is a drive through meal. You're not, you're not sitting down. You're not taking time to see. You're ready to go. You've got your staff in your hand. You're sitting there. You've got your, your unleavened bread. And you're eating because you don't know when God is going to say go. And then God says, I want you to do something else. I want you to take a lamb. And I want you to sacrifice that lamb. And then I want you to take the blood of the lamb. Now put that in the back of your head. I want you to take the blood of the lamb. And I want you to take a hyssop this rod and paint the blood over the doorpost of your house. And then when the destroyer comes through, he will pass over those houses where the blood of the lamb is. And so that's exactly what happens. They put the blood on the doorpost. The destroyer comes through, the firstborn over all of Egypt, except for those in the houses that are marked by the blood of the lamb, die. And Pharaoh finally says, get, go, go, get out of here. And so the people go. Pharaoh tries to chase them down at one point. Pharaoh's army is drowned in the Red Sea. And the people of God come to the mountain of Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with them. And a covenant is an agreement between two parties, usually between a king and a vassal, between a suzerain and, and this other, the lower king, the greater king and the lesser king, between a king and a people. And he makes this covenant, this agreement with them. And part of that is what we know as the Ten Commandments and all these series of laws. But that's not the end of the story. But we're going to come back to Sinai. So we've got blood in the lamb, we've got Sinai and the covenant in the back of our head. So write that down on your scribble pad, wherever, because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. And then part of what they do at Sinai, what do they do? Is they build a tabernacle, which is a mobile way of showing the presence of God, which later becomes the temple. So all these things are tied up. So year after year, God's people would gather together and remember that. They would say, we are the people to whom this happened. We are a part of this and they would eat a meal and they would, there would be all kinds of different herbs and spices and things that would remind them of different parts of the Passover story. They would have a lamb and there would be bread and there would be wine. There would be all these things that would help them remember that story. A way to act it out and to say, we are a part of the people to whom this happened. And so when Jesus says, I want to eat Passover with you together, these are all the thoughts that are going on in their head. All these thoughts, all these ideas are coming together of, of the Lamb and of the angel of death and of passing out and the, the 
covenant at Sinai and the temple or the tabernacle out in the wilderness. All these things are coming together. And all along, the people of God were hoping that one day God would do the same thing again. Because if we go back to the story of the Bible, they had been set free from Egypt. They lived in the land for a while. But then, because they failed to live up to what God had called them to do, they're eventually they're, halt, they're taken into exile, into Assyria, into Babylon, and then they're brought back. But they're never really recovered. Because right now, when Jesus is alive and here's there, they are under occupation of a foreign government. They are still not fully the people of God that they believe themselves to be. They're waiting and they're waiting. And they're waiting for God to do another Passover. So each year they come and they eat this meal and they think back to that day when God did this mighty work. And they're looking forward to another day when God will do something even more amazing. And once again, set them free and make them into His people. So Jesus says, Let's do this thing. And so the story goes on and there's this whole thing where Jesus obviously had arranged everything. And so disciples come in and they find a, a man carrying a water jar and the man says, yep, I got the place for you. And so they go to this upper room and, and they prepare the Passover. And it was probably quite a fee. I mean, this wasn't just to like whip something up. There were all these things to be done. And so they're preparing it. And then it says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. So these 12 disciples, these 12 closest followers, and they're reclining at the table. Again, this idea of the table would have been probably this small, low U-shaped table, and they would have been kind of laying down on one side with propped up on their elbow, and they'd eat with the other hand. So they're around this table reclining, and Jesus says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. In other words, one of you sitting here at this table, one of you who is eating with me, which in that culture, when you ate together, that was a sign of fellowship. It was a sign of thing. You, in ancient culture, if you entered into a place, and even if you were an enemy and you went into their tent and you had a meal with them, it's like there was a truce for a time. And you could eat this meal and it was a sign of solidarity and it was a sign of hospitality. So Jesus is saying you're violating a central principle. One of you sitting here is going to betray me. And it says they were saddened by one by one. They said, surely you don't mean me. And I always read that and think, do they not know if they're going to betray him or not? You're kind of wondering, it's like, oh, well, am I going to do that, Jesus? I don't know. And, but the other thing is, what's interesting is, they're not really, they don't really seem concerned about Jesus. I mean, Jesus has just said, one of you is going to betray me. And nobody says, oh, Jesus, that's horrible. What can we do to stop it? No, they're like, what about me? That's, isn't that part of the human condition? Yeah. I mean, we're all of a sudden, our first thought is what? About ourselves. Your rabbi, your master, your teacher said, somebody's going to betray me. You're like, are you talking about me? Instead of saying, Jesus, that's horrible. Or, or what can we do to stop it? And he goes on, he said, it is one of the twelve as if to further emphasize the point. He's already said, one of you sitting here with me. Well, the only ones sitting there with him are the 12. And he said, it's one of the 12. In other words, this isn't an outsider. This isn't somebody out on the fringes. This isn't one of the Sanhedrin. This isn't one of the Pharisees. This isn't one of the temple priests. This is one of you 12 who have spent the last three years walking with me. One of you 12 
whom I have shared meal after meal with, one of you twelve that I have taught and I have poured out my love to, one of you twelve that I have given everything to, one of you twelve that we have spent all this time together, one of you will betray me. But he says the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. In other words, this, he's saying, one of you can betray me, but I'm not concerned about it. Jesus is saying, I'm not concerned about it because it's part of God's plan. So I'm okay with it. Now the guy who's going to betray me, he shouldn't be okay with it because it says, woe to that man, for it would be better for him if he had not been born. And then... We come to the part where I want to focus our time. So we often think, again, of this as the time where Jesus says, oh, here's what I want you to do. But there's some meaning going on here. And I think Jesus isn't simply saying, here's this ritual, here's this sacrament, here's this thing I want you to practice from here on and out. What he's doing at this moment in time, what Jesus is doing is interpreting, is giving the disciples and us a key to what is going to happen the next day. Because Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows what's going to happen. And he's saying, I want you to understand what's going to happen. I want you to understand the implications. And I want to explain to you and help you understand what it is that's going to happen. So first he takes the bread. And he says, take it. This is my body. And I'm guessing at this point the disciples are a little perplexed. Because those weren't the normal words. The normal words we're blessed are you, O Lord God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You know, Barakah, Atah, Adonai, Eloheinu. And so there's this, blessed are you, O Lord God, ruler of the universe. This was something that they said, and they would have known that from childhood. And so when Jesus says, this is my body, I can imagine they're thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? What is that all about? But it's the next part I want to focus on. It says, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And so this is the verse in um, chapter 14, verse 24. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for money, he said to them. So I want to think about those words. The blood of the covenant poured out for many. And so now, all of a sudden, we're coming up with all sorts of images, all sorts of ideas, all sorts of echoes going back. And I don't know if the disciples got all of those at this moment, but I think Mark intentionally uses those and makes sure these are the words that Jesus said, so we make the connections. So let's go back in our Bible to the book of Exodus. So remember, so remember what happened at Exodus. People come out of slavery, they go to Mount Sinai. Moses, their leader, goes up on the mountain and there's all these things going on, all sorts of events happening. And he comes down from the mountain. So in Exodus chapter 24, he comes down from the mountain and Moses says to all the people, this is Exodus chapter 24, Moses says to all the people, here's what God says. And the people say, everything the Lord has said we will do. And then Moses makes a sacrifice. He builds an altar. And then he takes this bowl of the young blood and it says Moses took half the blood and put it in the bowls and other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said and we will obey. So once again, the people are all like, yeah, we're, in, we're all in on this. God, we hear everything you say. We're going to obey everything. We're going to be your people. And then in verse 8, it says, Moses then took the blood, 
sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant. Does that language sound familiar now? This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. But when God made that covenant with the people, question for you, what did the people do? I mean, other than said, we're going to obey it. I mean, what had they done prior to that? Nothing. God was the one who initiated the covenant. God was the one who, if we go back, if we, we're not going to take the time to go back today, but at the start of when God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, He says, I am the Lord you God who brought you up out of, Israel, or out of Egypt. In other words, God is the one who initiates the covenant. He is the one who does everything. We sometimes, again, want to make this division. Well, the Old Testament, God was this God of law and stuff. God demonstrates grace to His people from the very beginning. He, he, God, is the one who initiates this covenant. The people don't come to God and say, hey, God, can, can we make a deal here? Can, we, can you help us out? God says, I rescued you. Now I want you to be the people that I've called you to be. And so there's this bizarre ceremony where Moses takes bulls and he sacrifices them. He takes the blood and there's in the bowls and some of it's on the altar. And the altar is the representation of, of God. And then he takes some of the blood and he sprinkles it on the people which I don't think I'd want to be in the front row there for that one. And so he's sprinkling it on the people, and it's a symbol of saying, here is my commitment to you. Here is my commitment to you, and now we are joined. We are a people, and it's a sign of the covenant. And so when Jesus says the words, he says, this cup is the blood of the covenant. He's making them think of a lot of different things as we read it. He's thinking, this is my commitment to you. And he's not talking about the cup of wine. What's he talking about? He's talking about his blood, which will be poured out on the next day. So Jesus is talking about these things, and he's saying, this is my commitment to you. You're not doing anything. Just like the people of Israel hadn't done anything when God came and brought them out of Egypt, the people, in other words, us, haven't done anything when God comes and brings us out of slavery. So God comes and He enters in. Can we have the next one? And so we say, well, what are some of the things that, what else about the covenant? Well, Jeremiah chapter 34. So um, we often refer to it as, as the new covenant. And so in the book of um, Jeremiah 31, God says this, and God is talking about this new covenant that he's going to make with the people. And he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And at the end, it says, no longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one another, know the Lord, because they all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So part of the new covenant that God is making, part of what Jesus is saying is, I'm making a new covenant. Part of that new covenant includes forgiveness of sins the next one. And so then in the book of Zechariah, and Zechariah is interesting because this is chapter 9, and if you think back, if you remember long ago, two, two weeks ago when we talked about this passage, when Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 9, I'm going to read the verse 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. We all know that one. But then Two verses later, verse 11. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant, 
I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. In other words, from the grave, from death. And so there's all these images, all these ideas that are coming back and sitting within the people. And so as Jesus is saying this, as he's saying, this cup is the blood of the covenant, or in some translation it says the blood of the new covenant. This cup, what I'm about to do for you, encapsulates all these other stories. It's the story of Sinai, when God made a covenant with his people in Judah. It's the new covenant when God will forgive sins. It's the new covenant where God will rescue you from death. So when Jesus is breaking bread and pouring out this cup to his people with his disciples on that last night, he's not simply saying, hey, a couple thousand years from now, every, every once in a while as a church when you get together, you know, take a little bit of bread and take a little bit of juice and, and have a meal together. He's saying something much deeper. He's saying something about what it all means. He's telling us about what the cross means. A couple other passages that just want to briefly highlight when Jesus says, he says, this is the covenant covenant which is poured out for many. And so back in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when Jesus is talking about it, he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or if we were to go to the book of Isaiah, which is probably one of the great passages which talks about the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. And it says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life, again, hear that language, he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You can go to the next one there, Bob. So all these things are going on. So Jesus is saying, I'm giving my life as a ransom, and it's a substitution. So here in Isaiah, I'm substituting my life for yours. I'm dying in your place. So you might have been reading the passage and saying, well, but we're not practicing communion today. We're not celebrating the communion. How come we, how come we didn't do this passage last week? Because that's not how my schedule worked out. But, that's, but more importantly than that, I want us to think about it's not a about what Jesus is talking about here isn't primarily about what we do on a Sunday morning when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What Jesus is talking about here and what I think Mark wants us to get at is what Jesus is primarily doing. He's not instituting the Lord's Supper at this point. What Jesus, I mean, he, he is, that's part of what he's doing. He's giving us a practice to recognize ourselves as those people for whom this all happened but primarily what he's doing is saying, here's what's happening at the cross tomorrow. And so let's think about what is Jesus doing? What is he saying about the cross? He's saying, one, I am making a new covenant with you. I am, in other words, bringing you back and I'm establishing you. I am your king and you are my people. He's saying, what happens at the cross is an establishment of my relationship with you. It renews, it restores that relationship. What happens at the cross is the forgiveness of your sins just as promised in the new covenant. What happens at the cross is bringing you out from the waterless pit, out from the grave. What happens tomorrow is I die in your place. 
That's what is at the heart of the story of Jesus. That's what's at the heart of the story of what we call our faith. Is that Jesus died in our place. That Jesus, as the king, makes a new covenant with us and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. That Jesus dies and through his blood we find forgiveness. Through his blood, just like the blood of the lamb of the Passover, we find divine protection, protection from death. We are rescued from the watery grave. So when you take communion... It's a reminder that we are the people for whom this happened. Just like when they celebrated the Passover, they said, this is part of our story. When we take communion, it's a part of our story. But it's also a reminder of all that Jesus has done. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. That He offered His life in our place. That He died in our place and that through His blood He established a new covenant that he renewed that relationship between us and between him. That he gave us forgiveness of sins. That he conquered death. And so just as the people at Mount Sinai were invited to respond, so too we are invited to respond. Jesus says, I have done this, I have initiated, and then our response is to give our lives to him. To acknowledge him as king. To say you are Lord, you are Savior, and I give myself to you. That's our call, that's our response. And so that's what Jesus invites us to do. To give ourselves to him in response to all that he has done. Jesus says, any who come to me, he says, you know, when... God says, you know, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God invites us to receive that forgiveness. God invites us to receive that new life. The language of the Bible is to confess Him as Lord or to confess Him and to acknowledge Him as King, to give Him our allegiance. And so if you're sitting here today and if you've already done that, if you've given your life to Jesus, then it's a call to live out your life under the king. To live under King Jesus. To proclaim this same good news to other people. To obey him in all that we do. And if you haven't done that, then the invitation is to consider that. To say, I long, just like the people of Israel longed for freedom. To say, I long for freedom from my sin. I long for freedom from death. I long to be protected. I long to be a part of a people. And Jesus says, you can. Just acknowledge me as your Lord. Give your heart, your whole self to me. And you will find all those things. You will find forgiveness. You'll find hope. You'll find peace and so much more. Jesus is the king who offers us this new covenant. The new covenant of hope, of life, of freedom, and forgiveness. Let's join together, please, in prayer. Our God, 
We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. That through him you established this new covenant. God, we come to you now. And we pray that you would speak to us. As we think on the words of Jesus. As we think on this new covenant. This covenant of freedom. This covenant of forgiveness. This covenant of life. This covenant of a lifelong relationship with you. God, search our hearts and show us how we might respond to you and acknowledge you as the true king. We ask this all as your people through the power of your spirit in the name of King Jesus. Amen.